Chapter Thirteen of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter Thirteen. The first lieutenant prescribes for one of his patients. His prescriptions consisting of drafts only. O'Brien finishes the history of his life in which the proverb of the more the merrier is sadly disproved shipping a new pair of boots causes the unshipping of their owner walking home after a ball o'brien meets with an accident the next morning i was on deck at seven bells to see the hammock stowed and when i was witness to mr falcon the first lieutenant having recourse to one of his remedies to cure a mizzen-top boy of smoking a practice to which he had a great aversion he never interfered with the men smoking in the galley or chewing tobacco but he prevented the boys, that is, lads under twenty or thereabouts, from indulging in the habit too early. The first lieutenant smelt the tobacco as the boy passed him on the quarter-deck. "'Why, Neil, you have been smoking,' said the first lieutenant. "'I thought you were aware that I did not permit such lads as you to use tobacco.' "'If you please, sir,' replied the mizzen-top boy, touching his hat, "'or he's got worms, and they say that smoking be good for them.' "'Good for them?' said the first lieutenant. "'Yes, very good for them, but very bad for you. "'Why, my good fellow, they'll thrive upon tobacco "'until they grow as large as conger eels. "'Heat is what the worms are fond of, but cold, cold will kill them. "'Now I'll cure you. "'Quartermaster, come here. "'Walk this boy up and down the weather gangway, "'and every time you get forward abreast of the main tack block, "'put his mouth to the windward, "'squeeze him sharp by the nape of the neck "'until he opens his mouth wide, "'and there keep him and let the cold air blow down his throat.' while you count ten then walk him aft and when you are forward again proceed as before cold kills worms my poor boy not tobacco i wonder that you are not dead by this time a few nights afterwards when we had the middle watch o'brien proceeded with this story where was it that i left off you left off at the time that you were taken out of confinement so i did sure enough and it was with no good will that i went to my duty however as there was no help for it I walked up and down the deck as before with my hands in my pockets, thinking of old Ireland and my great ancestor Brian Boru, and so I went on behaving myself like a real gentleman, and getting into no more scrapes, until the fleet put into Cove of Cork, and I found myself within a few miles of my father's house. You may suppose that the anchor had hardly kissed the mud before I went to the first lieutenant, and asked leave to go on shore. Now the first lieutenant was not in the sweetest of tempers, seeing as how the captain had been hauling him over the coals for not carrying on the duty according to his satisfaction. So he answered me very gruffly that I should not leave the ship. Oh, bother, said I to myself, this will never do. So I walked up to the captain, and touching my hat reminded him that I had a father and a mother and a pretty sprinkling of brothers and sisters who were dying to see me, and that I hoped that he would give me leave. Ex the first lieutenant, said he, turning away i have sir replied i and he says that the devil a bit shall i put my foot on shore have you any fault to find with mr o'brien said the captain to the first lieutenant as he came aft no more than i have with midshipmen in general but i believe it is not the custom for officers to ask leave to go on shore before the sails are furled and the yards squared very true replied the captain therefore mr o'brien you must wait until the watch is called and then if you ask the first lieutenant i have no doubt but you will have leave granted to you to go and see your friends i thought myself very clever in this business but i was never a greater fool in my life for there is no such hurry to have gone on shore 
and the first lieutenant never forgave me for appealing to the captain but of that by and by and all in good time at last i obtained a grumbling assent to my going on shore and off i went like a skyrocket being in a desperate hurry i hired jaunton car to take me to my father's house is it the o'brien of ballyhinch that you mean inquired the spalpeen who drove the horse sure it is replied i and how is he and all the noble family of the o'briens all well enough battened the boy tim who caught a bit of confusion in his head the other night at the fair and now lies at home in bed quite insensible to mate or drink but the doctors give hopes of his recovery as all the o'briens are known to have such thick heads what do mean by that bad manners to you said i but poor tim how did it happen was there a fight not much of a fight only a bit of a scrummage three crowners inquests no more but you are not going the straight road you thief said i seeing that he had turned off to the left is your honour in a hurry to get home then i'll be thinking they'll not be in such a hurry to see you and who told you that my name was o'brien you baste and do you dare to say that my friends won't be glad to see me place your honour it's all an idea of mine so say no more about it only this i know father mcgrath who gives me absolution told me the other day that i ought to pay him and not run in debt and then run away like terence o'brien who went to say without paying for his shirts and his shoes and his stockings nor anything else and who would live to be hanged as sure as st patrick swam over the leafy with his head under his arm bad luck to that father mcgrath cried i devil burn me but i'll be revenged upon him by that time we had arrived at the door of my father's house i paid the rapparee and in i popped there was my father and mother and all my brothers and sisters that and tim who was in bed sure enough and died next day and that based father mcgrath to boot when my mother saw me she ran to me and hugged me as she wept on my neck and then she wiped her eyes and sat down again but nobody else said how do you do or opened their mouths to me i said to myself sure there's some trifling mistake here but i held my tongue at last they all opened their mouths with a vengeance my father commenced earn it you shamed yourself terence o'brien earn it you shamed on yourself terence o'brien cried father mcgrath earn not you shamed on yourself cried out all my brothers and sisters in full chorus whilst my poor mother put her apron to her eyes and said nothing the devil a bit for myself but very much ashamed for you all replied i to treat me in this manner what's the meaning of all this haven't they seized my two cows to pay for your toggery your spalpeen cried my father haven't they taken the hay to pay for your shoes and stockings cried father mcgrath haven't they taken the pig to pay for that ugly hat of yours cried my eldest sister and haven't they taken my hens to pay for that dirk of yours cried another and all our best furniture to pay for your white shirts and black cravats cried murdoch my brother and haven't we been starved to death ever since cried they all oh hon said my mother the devil they have said i when they'd all done sure i'm sorry enough but it's no fault of mine father didn't you send me to say yes you reparee but didn't you promise or didn't i promise for you which is all one and the same thing that you'd pay it all back with your praise money and where is it answer that terence o'brien where is it father i'll tell you it's where next christmas is comin but not come yet terence o'brien said father mcgrath it's absolution that you'll be wantin to-morrow after all your sins and enormities and devil a bit shall you have take that now father mcgrath replied i very angrily it's no absolution that i'll want from you anyhow 
take that now then you have had your share of heaven for i'll keep you out of it you wicked monster said father mcgrath take that now it was no better than a midshipman's berth replied i i'd just as soon stay out but i'll creep in in spite of you take that now father mcgrath and who is to save your soul and send you to heaven if i don't you wicked witch i'll see you damn first so take that now terence o'brien then i'll turn protestant and damn the pope take that now father mcgrath at this last broadside of mine my father and all my brothers and sisters raised a cry of horror and my mother burst into tears father mcgrath seized hold of the pot of holy water and dipping in the little whisk began to sprinkle the room saying a latin prayer while they all went on squalling at me at last my father seized the stool which he had been seated upon and threw it at my head i dodged and it knocked down father mcgrath who had just walked behind me in full song i knew that it was all over after that so i sprang over his carcass and gained the door good morning to you all and better manners to you next time we meet cried i and off i set as fast as i could for the ship i was very sorry for what i had said to the priest for my conscience thumped me very hard at having even pretended that i'd turned protestant which i never intended to do nor never will but live and die a good catholic as all my posterity have done before me and as i trust all my ancestors will for generations to come well i arrived on board and the first lieutenant was very savage i hoped he would get over it but he never did and he continued to treat me so ill that i determined to quit the ship which i did as soon as we arrived in Cossand bay the captain allowed me to go for i told him the whole truth of the matter and he saw that it was true so he recommended me to the captain of a jackass frigate who was in want of midshipmen what do you mean by a jackass frigate i inquired i mean one of your twenty-eight gunships so called because there is as much difference between them and a real frigate like the one we are sailing in as there is between a donkey and a racehorse well the ship was no sooner brought down to the dockyard to have her ballast taken in than our captain came down to her a little thin spare man but a man of weight nevertheless for he brought a great pair of scales with him and weighing everything that was put on board i forgot his real name but the sailors christened him captain avoir du Bois. He had a large book, and in it he inserted the weight of the ballast, and of the shot, water, provisions, coals, standing and running rigging, cables, and everything else. But I didn't remain long, for one day I brought on board a pair of new boots, which I forgot to report, that they might be put into the scales, which swung on the gangway. And whether the captain thought that they would sink his ship, or for what I cannot tell, but he ordered me to quit her immediately, so there I was, adrift again one day i was in the dockyard looking at a two-decker in the basin just brought forward for service and i inquired who was to be the captain they told me that his name was o'connor then he's a countryman of mine thought i and i'll try my luck so i called at good's hotel where he was lodging and requested to speak with him i was admitted and told him with my best bow that i had come as a volunteer for a ship and that my name was o'brien as it happened he had some vacancies and like in my brogue he asked me in what ships i had served I told him, and also my reason for quitting my last, which was because I was turned out of it. I explained the story of the boots, and he made inquiries, and found that it was all true, and then he gave me a vacancy as master's mate. We were ordered to South America, and the trade winds took us there in a jiffy. I liked my captain and officers very much, and what was better, we took some good prizes. But somehow or other, I never had the luck to remain long in one ship, and that by no fault of mine, at least not in this instance 
all went on as smooth as possible until one day the captain took us on shore to a ball at one of the peaceable districts we had a very merry night of it but as luck would have it i had the morning watch to keep and see the decks cleaned and as i never neglected my duty i set off about three o'clock in the morning just at break of day to go on board of the ship i was walking along the sands thinking of the pretty girl i'd been dancing with and had got about half-way to the ship when three rapparees of spanish soldiers come from behind a rock and attacked me with their swords and bayonets i had only my dirk but i was not to be run through for nothing so i fought them as long as i could i finished one fellow but at last they finished me for a bayonet passed through my body and i forgot all about it well it appears for i can only say to the best of my knowledge and belief that after they had killed me they stripped me naked and buried me in the sand carrying away within the body of their comrade so there i was dead and buried but o'brien said i whist hold your tongue if not heard the end of it well i had been buried about an hour but not very deep it appears for they were in too great a hurry when a fisherman and his daughter came along the beach on their way to their boat and the daughter god bless her did me the favour to tread on my nose it was clear that she had never trod upon an irishman's nose before for it surprised her and she looked down to see what was there and not seeing anything she tried it again with her foot and then she scraped off the sand and discovered my pretty face i was quite warm and still breathing for the sand had stopped the blood and prevented my bleeding to death the fisherman pulled me out and took me on his back to the house where the captain and officers were still dancing when he brought me in there was a great cry from the ladies not because i was murdered for they are used to it in those countries but because i was naked which they considered a much more serious affair i was put to bed and a boat despatched on board for our doctor and in a few hours i was able to speak and tell them how it happened but i was too ill to move when the ship sailed which she was obliged to do in a day or two afterwards so the captain made out my discharge and left me there the family were french and i remained with them for six months before i could obtain a passage home during which i learnt their language and a very fair allowance of spanish to boot when i arrived in england i found that the prizes had been sold and that the money was ready for distribution i produced my certificate and received a hundred and sixty-seven pounds for my share so it's come at last thought i i had never had such a handful of money in my life i thought of my mother and of the cows and the pig and the furniture all gone and of my brothers and sisters wanton pratties and i made a vow that i'd send every farthing of it to them after which father mcgrath would no longer think of not giving me absolution so i sent them every doit only reserving for myself the pay which i had received amounting to about thirty pounds and i never felt more happy in my life than when it was safe in the post-office and fairly out of my hands i wrote a bit of a letter to my father at the time which was to this purpose honoured father since our last pleasant meeting at which you threw the stool at my head missing the pigeon and hitting the crow i have been dead and buried but am now quite well thank god and want no absolution from father mcgrath bad luck to him and what's more to the point i have just received a batch of prize money the first i have handled since i have served his majesty and every farthing of which i now send to you that you may get back your old cows and a pig and all the rest of the articles seized to pay for my fitting out i am a true brian tell my mother and don't mind to turn protestant but uphold the religion of my country although the devil may take father mcgrath and his holy water to boot i shan't come and see you as perhaps you may have another stool ready for my head and may take better aim next time so no more at present from your affectionate son 
Terence O'Brien. About three weeks afterwards I received a letter from my father, telling me that I was a real O'Brien, and that if any one dared hint to the contrary he would break every bone in his body that they had received the money, and thanked me for a real gentleman as I was, that I should have the best stool in the house next time I came, not for my head, but for my tail, that Father McGrath sent me his blessing and had given me absolution for all I had done, or should do for the next ten years to come, that my mother had cried with joy at my dutiful behavior, and that all my brothers and sisters, Bat and Tim, who had died the day after I left them, wished me good luck and plenty more prize money to send home to them. This was all very pleasant, and I had nothing left on my mind but to get another ship. So I went to the port admiral and told him how it was that I left my last, and he said that being dead and buried was quite sufficient reason for anyone leaving his ship, and that he would procure me another now that I had come to life again. I was sent on board of the guard ship, where I remained about ten days, and then was sent round to join this frigate. And so my stories ended, and there's eight bells striking, so the watch is ended too. End of chapter 13